Well, sit down if you can sit down. Amen. Good gracious, have mercy. Wow. Uh, I want to just stop just for a moment and have prayer this morning. Uh, we, well, I just got word that Miss Betty Mosley was at the emergency room. So I want to stop and pray for Miss Betty. And then just got word the ambulances are here right now. Miss Lucille Teal had a seizure uh, back here in the restroom. And they're getting her ready to take to the hospital too. So let's just stop just for a moment and pray for these. Father, I thank you. Thank you for Miss Betty and what she means to this church. I ask you to be with her as she's there at that emergency room. And Lord, I lift up Ms. Lucille. Thank you for her. Lord, what a, what a tremendous testimony. And, and so, so uh, mm, she loves you. Lord, I pray that you'll be with those that are waiting on her right now and getting ready to, to take her to the hospital, God. Give them the understanding, the wisdom they need. But Lord, we are the grateful that we live in America. We're grateful for the tremendous hospitals and doctors and nurses, the medicine, the equipment, the facilities. But, oh, God, in this room, you're the great physician. Amen. Would you reach down and do what modern medicine can't do and touch these, lift them up in the name above every name, the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much. I uh, also want to recognize one more. I forgot to do that. Brother Casey's not here to remind me what I need to do next. And uh, we gave him a day off, and that, I don't do that very often because I really need him. Uh, no, I'm joking with you, but uh, Miss Christy Mayfield, would you stand up? Let me tell you, none of this would be possible without her. And then those who work with you, and then those who are parents, you know, these kids, they can't drive. Some of them would like to, but they can't. Some of their daddies have them driving tractors and different things, but they can't uh, drive up here. These parents are bringing them up here and taking care of them, and I appreciate that so much. And I'll tell you what, it's going to pay off in the kingdom of God. It's going to pay off. What they memorized and put in those minds and hearts are there. It's going to be there forever. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, uh, beginning in verse 1. When you hear the word drift, what do you think about? If you're from the south, you probably think about the Gulf of Mexico drifting in the ocean. If you're from the north, you probably think about the snow drifts and uh, the drift there. If you're in the NASCAR, you probably think race cars intentionally skidding to navigate a tight turn. That's called drifting. If you're a pilot, you're probably thinking about the wind drift and how the wind affects your aircraft. If you didn't sleep much night, uh, much last night, you're probably going to be drifting off in just a few moments. <laughs> if you get my drift. <laughs> but in our text today, the writer of Hebrews gives us a warning. Actually, there's four or five, there are five warnings in the uh, passages of Hebrews. This is the first one. Uh, in that movie, Castaway. Uh, well, let's go ahead and read the scripture. Let, look at chapter 2. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, Hebrews 2, verse 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, 
And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Father, thank you again today for your presence in this place. Lord, would it just be less of us and more of you. I pray you would control my mind, my thoughts, every word that's said. Not only control my mouth and all, but Lord, control the hearts of men, women, and children, young people that are here. May they hear what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me also say welcome uh, kids for Children's Church. This is the fifth Sunday, and uh, this is what we call free-for-all Sunday in the church staff meeting. Uh, and we've got the kids in here with us, and we're thankful. We love you guys. We're thankful that you're here with us this morning. And it's great to have you. There's a movie that was back in the, in the early 2000, 2000, 2001. I, I did not see it. <clears throat> I just got the illustration of it because it, it, it fits the sermon. Uh, but it was called the movie Castaway. It was with Tom Hanks. And on that movie, Tom Hanks was a FedEx uh, employee named Chuck, and he got stranded on an island. And uh, he became very lonely. And Tom Hanks had a volleyball, and he made good friends with the volleyball. And he called the volleyball Wilson. And he and Wilson became very close in the days that followed. They, they built a raft together and got it all together, got ready to, to uh, launch it and everything. It was a mess. It was a disaster. It went all to pieces. He got back to the shore safely. But then he was looking for Wilson and realized Wilson was out on the waves drifting farther and farther out, continuing to drift. You know what? There are thousands of Christians like that today. Now, I want to tell you something real quick. Tom Hanks is a good actor. When he can make you cry over a volleyball, <laughs> I want to tell you, he's good. He's good. But there are many people today drifting just like that. There was a time when they were joyful. There was a time when they were excited. There was a time when they were on fire for the Lord. But somewhere, they began to drift. And they drifted a little bit more. And they drifted a little bit more. Let me give you four things about spiritual drifting. Number one is this. You never drift toward holiness. You always drift toward ungodliness. You'll never find anybody drifting that's going toward holiness. Number two, you'll never drift into faithfulness. You always drift toward unfaithfulness. Number three, you never drift toward obedience. You always drift toward disobedience. And number four, you never drift deeper into the gospel. You always drift farther and farther from its grip. We're going to see this writer of Hebrews is going to warn believers and non-believers here because both of those crowds are in this place today. He's going to give us a warning. The framework of this warning is found in verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that which we have heard. Some of your translations will say we ought to pay the most careful attention to what we've heard. Uh, that word, therefore, refers back to chapter 1. 
uh, God, who at sundry times in verse 1, spake in times past by the fathers, uh, by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Now, chapter 1, we've already covered. It deals with uh, Jesus is better than the Judaism. In chapter 2, we're going to find out that the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us that Jesus is better than the angels. In fact, he says that if the word spoken by angels in chapter 2, verse 2 was steadfast, and it is, and if the transgression and the disobedience received a just recompense of reward, and they do, then he said you heed more so. You give more attention. How in the world are we going to escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The Son here is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one that sits down at the right hand of the Father. The writer reminded his readers that God had spoken many times in many ways, but his last word, which was the most important and the most authoritative word, was from Jesus himself. He is the authority. That's the most important word there is. Now, the reason for this reminder of the identity of Jesus is because these uh, Jews were beginning to drift back to the old life. They were going backwards. Remember, you never drift toward obedience. You always drift toward disobedience. You never drift toward holiness. You drift away from holiness there. And they were beginning to go back. Now, the, they, they had heard and believed the good news of Jesus. I mean, when the word came that, uh, the, the, that the law of God with his perfection uh, was, was, was uh, uh, totally uh, made, uh, the old covenant was gone and the new covenant was in. Let me say it like that. Amen? And uh, when they heard that Jesus had died on Calvary and they heard of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they heard that he arose on that third day, and then they remembered the prophets were saying he's going to come again and get those who have received him. They were excited. You, you mean to tell me we don't have to go back to the temple? We don't have to honor the dietary laws? We don't have to go back and pray to the priest? We don't have to go back and have animal sacrifices? No. No, no, no. You see, Jesus once and for all was a supreme sacrifice. Uh, and, and now uh, we, we can come boldly before the Father because the, the, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. So we have full access to the holiness of God. We can come right in. And they were saying, wow, this is good. This is really good. We're excited about this. And the first time they heard the gospel, it was revolutionary. You're saved by grace. Wow, the grace of God. Think about his grace. Think about that love. You know, that can happen to Christians today. You've heard the gospel of grace so many times it becomes old hat to you. And you just sit and do nothing about it. Hmm. I, I don't know about your family, but one of the highlights that I remember as a kid growing up uh, was to, in our family, we had a bunch of preachers. Mama's side was preachers. They were Methodists, but they did the best they could. <laughs> My daddy's side was all hoodlums, so they didn't, you know, they didn't count. But we'd go to Mama's side and this was long before Leslie was born. This was back in the 50s and 60s. And uh, I know you, some, some of you, I can't believe that. 
You've got to feed the children first. Listen, they didn't do the children first. Children stayed outside and played. It was the adults who ate first. They had their own room and they had their own table and everything. And us kids were back in the back room somewhere. Huh? And I remember when I got old enough to go to the table. I always fought with my pa, my grandfather, because he and I loved the gizzards. Of course, he was at the adult table and I was at the kids' table. I'll tell you, we got the wings. There wasn't nobody eating wings up in the first table. We got the wings. And I remember the day that I got to go to the adult table. Got old enough and go to the adult table. I forked that gizzard before my paw ever saw it. He was blind. No, it's, it's serious. <laughs> he really was. <laughs> And then my mama guilted me into making me give that gizzard back to him. <laughs> I was thinking about that. But you know what? After I sat with the adults time and time and time and time again, it kind of got boring. I mean, adults can be a drag. Some of them. <laughs> There's never any problem of being bored at the kids' table. You never knew what was going to happen next. And see, that's another way salvation is. If you're not careful, you heard about it and you've rejoiced and you've been excited about it and you said, a God like that would love me? But then it became kind of old hat. The same thing over and over again. And you begin to drift. And that's how we can move from our relationship with the Lord and with his word. Now, I want, I want to tell you something right up front before you leave this place. And those of you who are listening by radio and television and satellite, and computer and iPhone and I don't know what else. Satellite of China. <laughs> you listen to me. I am not preaching this morning that you can lose your salvation. Don't you leave here and tell that. Hear that straight. But I am going to get real close to it. But he warns us. There's a warning. Listen to the substance of the warning. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Some of your translations say drift away. Those are both nautical terms in the Greek. The first one is the, he's saying that we ought to give attention. We ought to pay the most careful attention to a Greek word, prosiko. It means to tie your boat up at the harbor. See, he's saying you need to get attention that you anchor that boat and you make sure it's tied up tight. Otherwise, it's going to begin to drift and it's going to leave the harbor there. And, and what that refers to us is we need to be sure that we've anchored our life on the Word of God. Not on what some preacher said, not on what some evangelist said, not on what Southern Baptist said. I'm telling you, you need to anchor to the Word of God. And if they're not in tune with it, get in tune with the Word of God and forget about the rest of them. It's anchored to the Word of God. Make sure, give attention to it. Don't believe what I'm telling you this morning. Go home and make sure that what I'm saying is true. And then he said it could drift away. That's the Greek word parero, which it means it doesn't happen quickly. 
I mean, when something's going to drift, it don't just shoot out of there like a motorboat. No, it just begins to drift. And you look out there and you say, that thing looked a little farther. No, nah, probably not my eyes. And then it drifted, and then it drifted. And you wonder, how in the world did we get over here? You wasn't anchored to the Word. And when you're not anchored to the Word, you'll drift. Don't neglect. How shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation? If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian very long, you'll have to agree with me that the number one thing we deal with every day of our life is drifting too far from the Lord. Hmm. I believe with all my heart that the day is going to come in our country where churches are going to be persecuted. And I can tell you right now, there are some churches, if, if I was worried about being shot at or if I was worried about uh, being persecuted, this is the last church I'd come to. I guarantee you, this preacher's too loud mouthed, and there's too many people on town already think we're half crazy. I mean, we, we, we believe goofy things like justice, <laughs> discipline, those kind of things. We believe that God created male and female and that God wasn't confused on that day that he created them. That's not going to be a happy ending, folks, because it's being crammed down our throat all the time. I'm telling you, there are churches you can go to, there are Baptist churches you can go to that don't believe this Bible is inerrant. If you don't believe that, then you can do anything you want to do. But I wouldn't hang around anybody in this church. I'd find me some little church somewhere that's kind of just riding with the waves and going with the stream. It's not going to be here. We, we wrestle with drifting. We don't intentionally say, I'm going to drift. I've never heard anybody say that. It's just the, the decisions that we make. We think, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to catch it with this, but I'm going to just be honest with you. Sometimes you just give in and say yes because you don't want to face the music. You don't want to face the, uh, the upsetness and all of that. You'd rather just say, hey, you know, it's the old image, you can be right or you can be at peace. So I just say, I'm going to take peace over right. And we find ourselves compromising. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you don't feel as closely connected as the Lord, to the Lord today as you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Maybe that's you. You've allowed yourself to drift. And I would just warn you about this. The farther you drift, the harder it is to come back. Hebrews verse 3 of chapter 2, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape? Now, we, we believe, if somebody says, are you saved? We immediately believe that that means that person has asked Jesus into their heart and they're ready for heaven. I ask the same question. Everybody joins this church. Are you sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Are you sure? Because that's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. But let me tell you something. Salvation is far more complicated than just having your sins forgiven. 
Salvation has four tenses to it. When you look at it and read it in the Word of God, there's a past-present tense which says, I have been saved from the pleasure of sin. There's a past tense. We call it justification, positional justification, which means I have been saved. I was saved. And then there's a present tense of salvation, I am being saved. We call that sanctification. And then there's, fourthly, a fourth tense of salvation, which is called glorification. One day he will come back for us, and we will be glorified, and we will go to heaven. Those are the four tenses of salvation. Come in here close. Don't, Don't lose me. Don't lose me. He is not saying when he says, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great of salvation, that's not necessarily for the lost person. You hear that preached all the time. If you're here this morning and you're lost without Christ, you've never been saved. Yes, it's referring to you. But let me give you something else too. If you're here this morning and you've been saved and you're in that sanctification mode, how are you going to escape if you neglect that salvation during the tense of I'm being saved? How are you going to neglect the glorification? See, salvation is not just neglecting. Listen, God didn't come into this world and send his son into this world to get more people in heaven. So the numbers are run up big. We do that in churches. They don't do that up in heaven. Jesus came to forgive sins, and then the Bible says that we're to be made in his image, and we're to be more and more like Jesus every day of our life. That's called sanctification. It didn't start in the year that Jesus came. It was created before the world. It's all been set up. So when somebody asks you, how's your salvation? You can say, well, it depends on what tense you're talking about. If you're talking about the past, present tense, I've been saved from the, from the uh, pleasure of sin. If you're talking about the past tense, I was saved and I've been justified. Praise the Lord, my name's written down in the Lamb's book of life. But if you're talking about being saved in the present tense, the sanctification part, I'll tell you how I feel. I, there's some things I love about the Lord and I won't. And then there's some other things I just don't want to go that far. Hmm? I used to call that the Luby's mentality, but Luby's shut down. (laughs) You can't pick and choose what you want to anytime you want to. Sanctification was planned before the world began, and it was paid for at Calvary. How are we going to escape if, if we're not if we're neglecting any part of these four tenses of salvation. He's not talking about being losing your salvation. He's saying if you're in the tense where you've never come to Jesus Christ, you know how you're going to escape? Well, I'll tell you one thing. There are two options you've got. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, heaven and earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you've got an option, number one, that you can confess here on this earth. Bow your knee right here on this earth and confess that Jesus is Lord and invite him to take over your life. Repent of your sins and invite him to take over your life. But you don't have to do that. 
Now, you got to bow your knee and you got to confess, but it don't have to be here on earth. Listen, the devil's already got you. You don't have to be here on earth. You can wait till you get to the judgment day. The only problem is you're not going to the Bema seat. You're going to the white throne judgment. And there's no confession there. There's no salvation there. He's not graceful there. He's just. And you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. It's your decision. People always, I, I, I like this, but you see, if we're not careful, we allow some of the most precious things to slip through our fingers. And sometimes it's, it's not that people refuse Jesus. You're here this morning. You've not just said, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. It's not that people refuse Jesus. It's not that people rejected Jesus. They just neglected. They neglected. Are you here this morning? And you know then well God's been telling you to be saved, but you've never once been saved. You're neglecting your salvation. You're here this morning. I, I had a young man, uh, and I know his mother, godly mother. I met him in line, and we were in line over at, actually, we were at Best Buy. And, uh, of course, he knew me. He said, oh, my mama loves you. Everybody loves Brother Charles. I mean, they just love me to death. And I said, well, what about you? He's a young man. He's out of college and everything. He said, well, he said, you know the real truth. Uh, I think God's good for old people, good for a crutch. I said, well, I believe that too. I'm old, and I believe God's the best crutch I got. I, I, I believe that 100%. He said, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm young, and I, I don't want to be shackled down by a lot of things that your church teaches and preaches. I said, well, my church only teaches and preaches what's in the Bible. He said, well, that, that's the thing, though. When, when I get older, and I, I'm 65, I'm going to get on Social Security, and then he said, I'm, I'm probably going to come join your church. And I said, okay. So you've got it all mapped out. Yeah, pretty well. Pretty well. I don't know everything. He said, but I, I've got my, my life. I've got the things I want to do in life straightened out. Got my bucket list all in, in order. And I said, well, why don't we go ahead and do a contract? Write your mother a letter. And, and it'll help our church, too. And he said, what, what kind of letter? What kind of contract are you talking about? And, and I said, well, uh, maybe you'd start out, because I do not know that I'm going to get to 65. And maybe the second line would say, because there's no certainty of tomorrow, then I want you to know I relinquish all interest in the death of Christ. I have no desire to talk about Jesus, to talk about the resurrection. I'm determined, and I said, you need to put something in there. I'm determined to go to hell. I made up my mind. I, I want to go to hell. I'm not interested in Jesus. And then sign it, and I'll witness it and sign it with you. It'll help all of us. Well, no, I'm not going to sign anything like that. I said, you already have. 
You didn't put the pencil on it, but you've already signed it. He said, how would that help your church? I said, well, when our evangelism director says, uh, hey, we need to go visit this person, I can say, oh, no, don't, don't go to him. He's already made his salvation. He's, he's secured his eternity. Don't worry about him. He's already got it all planned out. You don't have to waste your time going to his house. Well, I, I, no, I'm not signing nothing. I said, you better think about this. Because I want to tell you something. Every knee is going to bow, and I'm talking to you too. It's important to acknowledge, very important, that there are no other options. Paul said, who has saved us and called us. He is the only man in the entire Bible that uses that word saved. Nobody says, I've been saved. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Paul says that it is he who has saved us and called us. You see, God's interested in, in a better life, a fuller life, an abundant life. And he's not just interested in you going to heaven. We just got through hearing what Miss Laquita said. Why has he got her here? He got her here for a purpose. If the only purpose was to take you to heaven, the moment you got saved, he'd take you on to heaven. I, I, I got to hurry. Robert Robinson. Becky and I, he was our best man at our wedding. But this is the different Robert Robinson. He was born in, in the 1700s, wrote a, a song called Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. And then that third verse. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Mm. He uh, started preaching. Took a church. Built that church up to more than a thousand people in Cambridge, England. But he got into college and theology and some of his professors started questioning things about the Bible and he drifted. I'll just share this with you. Guys, if you're going to college, you're probably facing a bigger demonic attack than anybody else because the devil is in the college campuses with teachers and professors. He's in the schools. I'm just telling you, you need to make sure that you're anchored to the Word of God because they'll do everything they can. That's the point of the devil being here. That's his job. Hey, look for it. Give attention to it. They're going to do everything they can to make you doubt what the Word of God says. He, he, he drifted and he got to where he was disgusted, frustrated, and he quit. Quit preaching. He was riding on a stage one day from Cambridge to London. This young lady was over there across from him on the stage. She was reading a book. And she said to herself, boy, this is a really great song. She looked over him and said, have you ever heard this song, Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing? And he thought, hmm. He finally said, yes, ma'am, I, I, I wrote that song. Oh, you did. He said, yes, but I drifted and I just kind of stopped 
reading the Bible and I stopped preaching and I lost the joy of my salvation and and uh, he said it's just I, I'm too far gone and she looked at him and said don't you remember what you wrote in the first verse streams of mercy never ceasing hey I, I don't know where you are today but I'll tell you this his grace is sufficient right now today now I'm not telling you to be there tomorrow or the next day I was going to preach this tonight and then they told me this morning we had a concert <laughs> so let me, give me give me four minutes I gotta run through this real quickly here I'm skipping page after page after page let me just give you the capability of the salvation of the Lord number one the cost of it it's free you can be saved today it's free cost Christ his life but it's free to you the boundaries of it you say there's got to be some boundaries according to John 11 25 Jesus told her I'm the resurrection and the life anyone who believes in me there are no boundaries you're here this morning saying I know I can't be saved anyone and then thirdly the restrictions Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of all your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Man, have mercy. Separated our sins and forgave us of our sins. <clears throat> I've never watched it and have no intention of watching it. But there's a Netflix about Jeffrey Dahmer. He's a convicted killer that cannibalized his victims. And uh, Max Licato writes this about Dahmer, the grip of grace. Licato is just like me. He said, uh, the thing that bothers him the most is that a killer like Max, like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, we're going to see him in heaven. Because before he died, he trusted Christ. How in the world could a God let somebody like that go to heaven because of his amazing grace? You can't, you can't die. You, there's no other word for it. There was a, I think it was in 2019, I, I didn't ever look it up. I just recall it. That there was a, a black family. They were in, I believe it was Philadelphia, somewhere like that. She gave a, a uh, television interview. It was a gang shooting, drive-by shooting. They got the wrong house. And her three-year-old little boy was shot, killed. And in that interview, I remember her saying that she had forgiven him. She'd forgiven the one. Anybody see that interview? She forgave the one who had killed her son. And then she adopted him. While he was in prison, she adopted him. And during that interview, there was a phone call that rang, and someone on the other end said, Mom? And she said, Yes, son. And she was talking to that guy 
who had mistakenly killed her three-year-old son. Now, I want, I want to tell you, I pray to God his grace would be sufficient. I know it is. But I'll tell you, me standing here preaching to you this morning, I wouldn't be adopting nobody like that. That's just me. But I'll tell you, the grace of God can do things that no one else knew could happen. And if it were not for the grace of God, not a one of us in here would have anything to brag about this morning. It's the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How shall you escape if you neglect so great of salvation? So great that it would justify you? So great that it would sanctify you? So great that it's going to glorify you? He brought heaven to us and now we are are going to be taken to heaven with him. Lord, a lot of decisions to make right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be honored and glorified by the decisions that are going to be made. And Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus. Those that need to be saved, God, today would be their day of salvation. Those that have been saved and yet Lord, there's things that they know good and well God called them to do and wanted them to do, but they've said, no, Lord, we're going to do it our way. They're neglecting salvation. And I pray today you would burden their heart. And even as James said, that you would make us to be more than hearers of the word, but that we would become doers of the word. Be glorified. Save folks today. May people recommit their life to you. Send people who need a church home. Lord, whatever your will is, we love you and plan on you doing it. In Jesus' name, amen.